At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hello and welcome to Hotline Offline. I'm your host, Esther Choi. I'm a chef who's worked in numerous kitchens and currently running several of my own. And throughout it all, I've gotten a lot of practice at problem solving in the kitchen and answering burning questions. Speaking of burning questions, were you in the group of people who tried sourdough bread baking at the beginning of the pandemic? Or are you maybe someone who's heard about what it takes to maintain a sourdough starter and thought, this may not be for me? Well, in either case, this is the perfect episode for you because we're joined by Food52's resident bread baker, Maurizio Leo. Maurizio is an incredible baker and he's here to talk to us about improving your bread game. Let's get into it. Hello, Maurizio. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's really an honor to have you on the show. I must say I'm a huge fan of your work. Your content is so beautiful. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And, and likewise, I love the, the podcast so far and I've been keeping up with the episodes. So it's been great. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So we're talking all things bread baking. Bread baking became insanely popular over the pandemic, which is so amazing, right? Any reason to get people, you know, in their kitchen to bake. And it, it's it's such a, an amazing skill to have. What do you think your first memory of making bread is? Oh, that, that's a good question. Um, you know, before I started baking sourdough bread kind of in earnest, I guess, I, I never really baked proper bread before, but I, you know, I grew up in, you know, a stereotypical Italian household where we made food here, you know, from scratch all the time. And my grandma was the typical nonna who was in the kitchen, you know, rolling out pasta and, and doing that kind of stuff. And I, I think I remember, aside from the pizza that I grew up at my dad's restaurant, so we, we owned an Italian restaurant here. And aside from seeing my dad make pizza, which is, you know, technically not bread. Is um, it technically not bread? I, I think it depends on who you talk to. Um, for me, I, I technically do not consider it bread. I don't know if that's a hot take, but <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think you know, it's, it's kind of like its own category. I think you have to approach it with a different mindset. You know, aside from, from the pizza that I, I can remember my dad making in the restaurant, I remember my grandma when she was here, you know, she, of course, is from Italy and she came to stay with us for like a month at a time and then would go back to her home in California or to her original home in, in Italy. And I can remember her making like quick breads. I mean, not baking soda, but, you know, using yeast, like commercial yeast. And I remember the sensorial experience of her, like, you know, pulling this bread out of the oven. And she was like a really hardcore, like chef, Italian kind of chef, like she was a proper chef. And so she would always just hate the fact that I, 
you know, that my family, uh, my mom, and my dad, we all lived here in Albuquerque, which was high altitude. And she was used to baking in Italy where it was like a completely different experience. And every time she would come here, she would complain about her bread and how it doesn't rise properly here, at, you know, in the mountains, basically. But still, I think those initial exposures to baking bread at home, I think is kind of what stayed with me all the way until, you know, later in life. I so love that because I feel like food is such a such an experience of like yeah. growing up and and I love that you mentioned like the sensory part. Obviously like when you're baking a lot of it is like smell and texture even feel and and it's definitely like an experience. So I guess that you started later in life in in terms of like professional bread baking. Yeah, so I, I actually went to school for engineering so I'm a software engineer. I kind of I always kind of steered towards like precision and, you know, algorithms and technology and, and these things. And I think that kind of stuck with me. And especially, you know, growing up in my household and in my dad's restaurant, I worked there for, you know, forever when I was a kid. I think it always kind of stuck with me. And I, I went into engineering and I appreciate everything that goes into working on a computer and doing that side of things. But later, you know, I got back into to baking when I, just read a book on sourdough bread and was kind of fascinated with uh, the science behind it. And I think that part of it kind of connected with my appreciation for, for kind of craft and making food by hand, you know, with your hands and engaging your senses. And so it was kind of this perfect marriage of, of the two. You definitely have to know the technical skills and the science behind making something like bread. And then you kind of perfect it with your sensory yeah. Yeah. I think I wouldn't say you need, it's necessary for the science, but I, I feel like it, it helps inform kind of decisions in the kitchen, you know, whether just the simple kind of like microbiology that's going on kind of helps me at least inform it. And I think it, it is really what kind of has driven me to keep at it. Like, of course I love the delicious bread that comes out and the healthy bread, but I think on a kind of engineering side, like that really engages me and I, I love kind of digging into that. I love that. For the beginner baker, like where do you start? I feel like bread making is one of those things where it's so intimidating. Even if you're a professional cook or, you know, you, you might work at restaurants and cook a lot of savory food, even making desserts are different than making bread. It's very intimidating. So what advice could you give? Like, where do you start? I think you're right. I mean, it is intimidating. I think for most people, I think they I get a lot of emails where people write in and they say, oh, you know, I was afraid to start. But once I finally got in there and just started mixing things together and I realized that it's a lot more resilient, the whole process, you know, almost always the result is edible. You know, it's not going to be such a bad disaster that you can't eat it where you know, I, I can say <laughs> for sure in the kitchen when I've cooked stuff, I've made things that are not edible. <laughs> so <laughs> at least there's that. But I, I think for for the beginner, I think the place to start is always just to kind of pick one recipe and kind of stick with that for a while and just kind of, I'm totally guilty of this. It, it's easy to want to like jump in and do like the hardest thing first. Right. And you want to have like this amazing bread, the first, the first go. But I think if you start with an easier kind of basic recipe, like a low hydration dough, that's not going to be super you know wild to deal with. And you stick with that for a while, then you'll kind of gain a feel, like you'll, you'll start to develop that intuitive sense for the dough and how it develops. And what is that easy bread to start with? Well, I mean, I remember when I first started,
started baking sourdough and, and people were like, you know, why, why did you start baking sourdough first? Cause it's, I think a lot of people consider that to be more difficult maybe than using, you know, a packet of yeast that you throw in and you don't have to manage the fermentation. So, I mean, maybe that's true if, if you're, if you just want to have, you know, like a delicious homemade loaf of bread and you're okay with using commercial yeast, there's nothing wrong with it at all. Like go down that route. Um, I think it's a lot easier probably for somebody who's never baked before. For me, I was really taken by the science of the, you know, sourdough starter and what's happening there. But I also really enjoyed the health aspect of it, kind of a longer fermentation process and kind of the health benefits that go along with that. So if you want to really start out and you've never baked anything, like maybe commercial yeast is a good way to start just to gain a, a sense for the process. If you are hardcore and you want to go kind of the sourdough route like I did, I think it's not as hard as a lot of you know people may say or you might think. Your sourdough starter is so resilient. I mean, it wants to live, right? It's a, it's a mixture of living organisms and it wants to live. So it'll do everything it can to live. You have to really neglect it to, to have any problems. You know how people say, oh, I had this starter for like 10 years and that just sounds very intimidating. Like what? Like I have to make this thing live in my fridge for 10, <laughs> like for five to 10 years. You know what I mean? It just sounds very intimidating. It's true. It's like getting a pet. I mean, really, you know, whether you name it or not, it's, it's something that you kind of take in and you have to maintain and it's another thing you have to do. Right. So I, I can see that. I can see that. But I feel like bread baking is one of those things where it's like, it's that love, right? I like mm -hmm. that you mentioned like the pet kind of thing. It's like a commitment kind of, yeah. um, once you get it, you, you want to keep it as long as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think part of the, the whole enjoyment of the process is that you're controlling everything from the beginning. It's kind of like this wonderful cycle where you're, you're maintaining the starter. So you're like, well, I guess I should make some bread since I've got this thing that I'm maintaining. So you make bread and then you're like, oh, it's great. You know, and it, it just kind of keeps you going. You know, you're, you're always paying attention to it. If you don't want to bake for a couple of weeks, you can put it in the refrigerator and pull it back out. So it, it is forgiving, but I think it, yeah, it's a little bit of a commitment. Yeah. But I mean, not a big one. It, I think it's the thought process behind it. Um, could you break down what is sourdough exactly? Yeah. Yeah. So you can say sourdough and refer to just the sourdough starter itself. But usually sourdough is, you know, bread that's made with a in natural leavening. So you've got a sourdough starter that's kind of composed of beneficial bacteria, so lactic acid bacteria and um, wild yeast. So, you know, these things are kind of naturally occurring on the grain and in the environment. And our sourdough starter is kind of us harnessing those two and creating like uh, just this optimal environment for them to kind of coexist naturally together. And we use that starter to mix with flour and water and salt to encourage fermentation in there and create bread. So each, each one, so bacteria is primarily responsible for acidifying the dough. So it's what generates the flavor that we you most associate with like a sourdough loaf, right? And yeast, the yeasts that, occupy the starter are, are most um, responsible for leavening the dough. So they're what makes it rise. And, and so it's the symbiotic um, relationship between the two that gives us that, that beautiful bread that we have. Right. You mentioned that an easy dough may be a lower hydration dough. Can you explain the hydration, like what hydration means in bread making, why higher hydration is more difficult? 
Yeah. Yeah. So hydration, I think for beginners and even for experienced beggars, I think it's always kind of a challenging thing to, to deal with because flour is just so ever changing, you know, it's never a static thing. And, and even if you haven't ever baked bread before, I think you see this in the kitchen, if you've made pancakes or, or waffles or, or any kind of batter, right. You've got, you usually have to adjust a little bit. Like maybe you have to add more buttermilk to your pancakes or whatever. And that's just because of the nature of flour, you know, it, it changes every harvest or, you know, so you might buy a bag of flour from one brand and it's completely different from another. So the hydration is the way bakers talk about it or bread bakers is we talk about the hydration percentage. And so it's the percentage of water related to the total flour in the recipe. So a recipe like, you know, 65% might be drier dough for most bakers, whereas a recipe like 80% would be much more wet and harder to handle. And so that, again, is with related to the total flour in the recipe. And is that with um, the elevation as well, like where you're, uh, where you live or where you're baking the dough? I know you mentioned that before you're in Albuquerque and, you know, obviously your grandmother wasn't used to that altitude and probably the weather and how dry it is as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Usually with the higher altitude, you get a drier climate. And so you usually need more water. So usually... Here in Albuquerque, I'm adding quite a bit more water than somebody at, you know, like Los Angeles, let's say, um, or my grandmother that was, you know, from low elevation Italy. She would come here and just be pouring water in, and it's like, what's wrong with this dough? <laughs> so yeah, you usually have to add more more water as as your environment is is more dry. Right, right. So when you're reading a recipe, and for people who are, you know, a stickler to the recipe, you got to do what. Yeah. Ever the recipe says, I feel like bread baking, I guess it's it's more of that feel then, right? And which is why kind of trial and error uh, comes into play. Yes, absolutely. You have to be, I, I try to drive this home all the time with my recipes. Like I usually recommend, you know, when you're mixing that, when you're doing that initial mix of the flour and the water to hold back some of the water in the recipe, just keep it on the side. As you're mixing, see how the dough is feeling, and if it can take water, add it in slowly because it's you know once you add it in, that's it. You know you've already it it can quickly turn into a kind of a sloppy mess on you if you don't watch it. Right. Question about the water in general because I feel like people who are you know master bread bakers and you know it's a craft. Are you picky about like what type of water you use too? And, you know, some tap waters in some cities are very different than other tap waters. And maybe, I don't know, maybe if you're using filtered water, like does that change the bread as well? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think one of the primary examples there is like a New York bagel where they say the water is, you know, I think generally as long as your water is safe to drink, you can bake with it. Like it's totally fine. You can run into issues if you have like ultra hard or ultra soft water. Here where I live, it's very, very hard water for, I don't know, for whatever reason. But even with water that I have here that like totally ruins my appliances and all these things, it's fine for for bread baking. As long as you can drink it, yeah, it's fine. We'll be right back with Maurizio right after this.
You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beat in cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. we're back. Okay. Now moving on to needing. Why do I need a need? I get, I get this question a lot. Like why, you know, do I need to need, do I need, do I, <laughs> it just sounds so funny. And, you know, you, you don't really have to, if you don't, if you don't want to, like you can keep your hydration on the lower end with your bread dough and through fermentation, especially with fer- uh, sourdough, it'll organically kind of strengthen on its own. Um, that's why a lot of the, you know, no need recipes, you know, they work because just letting the dough sit for a while will encourage gluten development. It doesn't have to be, you know, mechanically or, or, um, you know, you don't have to put any input into the dough to, to strengthen it. Um, so it's not necessary. I mean, you don't, you don't have to do it. What, what's the difference between like kneading and not kneading? So in my baking, I, I like to do a little bit of kneading in the front in the beginning of the process. And the reason is because it kind of encourages a organized structure within your dough. And so you'll get, typically you'll get a little bit more volume, a little bit more openness in the inside, depending on the bread you're making. So I I think it helps to do just a little bit in the beginning. And with the style of bread that I typically do, I usually do what's called stretches and folds during the first rise of the dough. And that, is in a way you're kneading, you're, you're kind of helping gluten to kind of organize and, and develop within the dough. So you can split it, you know, you can do more kneading up front and less stretching and folding during bulk fermentation. You can do no kneading at all if you don't, you know, you don't want to, as long as your dough isn't super hydrated, then it, it'll be strong enough to kind of trap the gases that are being generated through fermentation. Right. So it depends on what you want. So I know you mentioned that you don't consider pizza a, a bread. So what constitutes that's bread then for you? That's a great question. I, I think it's this nebulous, you know, idea because you have flatbread and you've got, you know, things like tortillas. Are those, you know, is that bread? For me, I, I don't see pizza bread because I kind of consider it like its own food group, you know, because I don't know. For me, it's like such an important food that I kind of like sectioned it off into its own thing. And I'm sure, you know, in other cultures and other bakers will maybe see it differently. I usually call something a bread when it's like free form, you know, baked on a baking surface in a pan, like a small structured pan. And then maybe the defining characteristic is something that's sliced at the end in some way. But focaccia is bread because you can slice it. See, so that, that's, slicing. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. You can slice it and make a sandwich out of focaccia it's, and it's delicious. So. How do I store my bread without it going stale? Because I feel like one of those things is like, oh, everyone loves fresh bread. Yeah. And after a day, you're like, oh, I have like half the live. Like I live alone. So if I go buy bread, I'm like, oh, great. I have to eat it all today, but I, I can't. So like it's hard for me to buy bread. So what would be some advice on how to store my bread? Well, first I have to say that with sourdough fermentation, so sourdough bread, it typically will delay staling longer than if you bought like a a yeasted bread. 
Um, that's just because of the acidity that's generated. It helps kind of stave off molding and, and it helps it kind of keep its texture better. But generally, the best thing to do is what I've found is to just, you know, cut the bread in half. Like I'm, I'm assuming you have like a hearth loaf or a sandwich, you know, like a pan loaf. Cut it in half and cut from the middle, you know, towards the side, towards the outsides. And then keep the bread so that the crumb, the inside is facing down or is covered. So you don't, that's where most of the moisture is going to get lost in that loaf, which is what, you know, causes it to harden and stale. That's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. That's number one. Number two, I think if you keep it like in something semi-porous, so like a paper bag, um, I have a bread box here that I use in it. It's really important here in Albuquerque because it's just so dry that I keep my bread covered. Otherwise, I mean, it won't even last to the next day here because it'll dry out into like a you know, a piece of wood or something. It's just, it's inedible. Um, but if you're in the opposite climate, like somewhere where it's super humid, you kind of have the, the opposite problem where the bread gets soggy and moldy very quick. So in that case, you probably want to leave it out. I don't know. I, I've never lived in a climate like that, so I don't know. But um, I think toasting in the toaster is probably your best, your best bet after that first day. Right. So um, you wouldn't use, I mean... No one should use plastic wrap, I guess. Like, yeah. pla- but that's like what people's go-to is, right? With bread, they're like, oh, let me just like plastic wrap it. Yeah. Um, but maybe like a towel, no? Yeah, a, a towel could work. It's a little, might be a little bit too porous. Um, I really like those, you know, like beeswax wraps, those natural wraps. Those things are awesome. But for sure, the one thing you should not do is put it in the refrigerator. Never do that because that'll actually expedite staling. So you think it is preserving it, but it's not. It's not. But what yeah. about freezer though? Because that's different, right? Yeah. Freezer's okay. Um, wrap it really well. I usually wrap it twice, you know, with like two different bags. You're going to lose a little bit of quality in the freezer, but it's better than, you know, throwing it out or not, not eating it. So, so for you, you know, living alone or, you know, even for us, sometimes I bake a lot of bread and we don't, we can't get through all of it, you know, slice it in half. Once the bread is completely cool, freeze half. That's a good point. I do, I do freeze a, lo- a lot of my bread, which there is why go. I was saying yeah. <laughs> I have so much bread in my freezer. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some good ways to spruce up basic homemade white bread? And is white bread very easy to make? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's another good good tip for beginners is I think um, just if you just go with like all white flour and mostly white flour in the beginning, I think it's more, there's more leeway for error. You can kind of you won't overproof as easy and, you know, you can get a feel for the dough will be more elastic. It'll be stronger. So it'll be easier to handle. And, you know, so starting there is good. And when you want to kind of branch out from there, always my go-to is to start working in whole grains. Cause I, I just love, you know, some measure of, of whole grains in there, but if you want to keep it like a white loaf, like let's say you're doing like a sandwich loaf for your, you know, kids lunches or whatever. I like to pre-cook some of the flour. So like a, a, um, Tang Zhang. I don't know if you've heard of that technique. It's amazing. It's kind of like a magical deal. It's like, you know, you cook part of the flour with some of the liquid in the recipe over, you know, in a saucepan and it kind of thickens up into a gel or a paste. And then you mix that in with your flour and, and water when you're doing your mix. And it really does bring this amazing softness and it also kind of keeps that bread softer for longer. It, it kind of delays staling. 
I've been doing that a lot for, for years, but I've been doing a lot more lately. Um, and I think it's just a fun way to kind of a, a new twist on kind of white bread. Right. Right. Um, Tang Zong is, is that kind of milk bread, right? Yeah. That, that kind of like milk bread quality. And you don't need like special equipment or like, or a sourdough no. starter for that. Right. No, you can do it with, yeah, you can do it with your, your yeasted bread. Just, um, you just, usually it's milk and the flour that you cook together, but you can do water or almond milk or, you know, whatever, whatever kind of milk you want. So is it the science behind like cooking it that just changes the gluten or something? Yeah. You know, as far as I understand it, cooking it kind of like gelatinizes the mixture. It kind of like makes those, all the starch granules in the flour kind of absorb the liquid and then eventually they burst and liquefy. And that's why you get this kind of like paste. And so you're, you're doing that ahead of time. And so that you're just bringing that soft paste into the dough, which that is really what happens when you're baking bread in the end, in the oven, it kind of liquefies the whole thing. And then it eventually sets from the heat in the oven. And so doing that ahead of time brings a lot of that kind of gelled starch softness into the bread, like from the get-go. Could you do that method with uh, other types of flour, like whole wheat or rye? Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And that's a great question because what's so amazing about doing that with whole grains is that, let's say you had a white pan loaf that you wanted to, to use, but and I do this all the time. Like I wanted to sneak in some whole grains into my kids, you know, lunches without them knowing. So I'll take like 50% whole wheat. I'll pre-cook some of that flour and then you work it into the dough and it, it's like, it disappears. Like the bread is still soft and fluffy, like white bread, but it's got a whole bunch of whole grains. Whole grains in it. Awesome. Amazing. I gotta, I gotta try that. And speaking of different flours, if I'm using different types of flours, like whole wheat or rye, do I need to change how much water I use for the dough per recipe? Yeah, for sure. With whole wheat and whole rye, you're going to need to increase the, the hydration. Especially with rye, there's going to be more bran and germ. So those are the parts of the berry that are usually kind of stripped away in white flour. So those are absorb a lot more hydration and so or a lot more water. So you need to add more to kind of keep that same consistency of the dough. Okay. So this is not a trick question, but kind of a trick question. Okay. So you said that to you, bread has to be, bread is bread if you slice it. Are there some desserts that you can make with basic bread recipes? And I'm saying this because I saw your Instagram and your your recent post, you made this like beautiful uh, (laughs) dessert pastry thing um, and you call it bread. Yeah. So yeah, totally. (laughs) It's a, it's a good question. Yeah. I, I, so I made, um, a loaf of bread with um, cocoa powder that I worked into the dough and then chocolate chunks and then, you know, dried sweetened tart cherries. And so that I think is blurring the lines of what is bread um, because yeah, you're slicing it and you know, I'm not going to use that bread for like a ham sandwich, right? It's probably (laughs) just going to be eaten on its own. So it's kind of like a, a, a slice of sweet dessert, but I mean, there, there's a lot of, you know, French pastries and Italian pastries that like um, both stock, you know, things that you take like a brioche loaf and you kind of transform it into a dessert, you know, in the end. I think if you have a good base recipe, especially something like brioche and it can be, you know, sourdough brioche or it can be, you know, a, a traditional yeasted brioche um, with that dough. I mean, you can make unlimited all sorts of things. Yeah. All, all kinds of things. I love that. 
if you wanted to master the most elaborate, amazing bread, what would that be in your opinion? Well, the question is, do you consider panettone a bread or a cake? <laughs> so we're going back See, to the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can slice it. <laughs> you can slice it. I, I, I think I see it as a bread. In terms of baking, that's probably the pinnacle of, you know, every, especially a sourdough, like naturally leavened baker. That's kind of the holy grail of, of baking because of you're really pushing everything to the maximum with that dessert. And I, I have, you know, deep appreciation for that because it's something I grew up with. We had it every Christmas, every Easter. We had, you know, Pandoro. We had a different version. And that's something I'm going to be digging into pretty deeply soon. So I, I think that for me would be the the most elaborate bread that you can make. Got it. And I I, I do love it. I, I eat it every Christmas as well. It's, it's one so of my good. favorites, favorites, yeah. definitely. Well, Maurizio, thank you so much. I, I feel like I learned a ton especially as someone who is a, is a cook and a chef, but I do yeah. not do much uh, bread making, but I do want to really get into it. It's, it's one of those things where uh, as a chef, you like kind of like leave that on the side. It's like, I'm going to get to learning how to do it right, but I want to do it right. But I think it's like, you got to just start. Just get, get in there, mix some flour and water and, you know, what use your, you know, you can use any yeast or whatever you, whatever you have just to get a feel for it and, and dive in. And I, I think, I'm on the opposite end. I'm, I'm always baking and I'm always saying, I think I'm going to get to more cooking at some point. <laughs> and I do, but not, you know, not as much as I should. Yeah, right. Uh, well, thank you so much for your insight. This was an amazing episode, Marcio. You're amazing. And if our listeners want to come find you, where could they come find you? Um, well, the, the best place is my website, theperfectloaf.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. I my uh, my name is Maurizio, and then my articles on Food Fifty Two also as the resident bread baker. So you, you see me writing there once a month or so. So yeah, any of those places. And, and definitely, you guys follow Maurizio's Instagram because it's amazing, oh, beautiful, thank you. beautiful. Thank you. Thanks so much to Maurizio for joining us, and thanks to our listeners for all the amazing questions. Be sure to follow Maurizio's work on his Instagram page, theperfectloaf.com, and on food52.com, all linked in the description. If you have any more questions that you're dying to know the answer to, remember to leave me a message at 518-291-9877. Hotline Offline is a Food 52 podcast and is produced by Coral Lee and Harry Sultan. Remember to follow so no questions go unanswered and no answer goes unheard. Bye. Bye.